This podcast series is brought to you by Elekanyani Ndlovu. For more details, visit elekanyani.com. My name is Elekanyani Ndlovu and welcome to Manifesto. In the last few episodes, I spoke about how I've also experienced fatigue and tiredness and exhaustion. And really, the last two episodes were more the end of the story in terms of the insights of what tiredness could be and how you can deal with it and what could be causing it. What I also hope to do is to share my story, my journey with tiredness, fatigue, exhaustion. Growing up is an interesting thing because... It is what shapes you without you realizing that it's actually shaping you. And the reason I value reflection so much is because when you reflect, you are able to create your own meaning. You are able to make sense of those experiences. And you are able to choose and decide how those experiences define you and how they influence the things you do and the decisions you make. My story is one of watching extremely hardworking parents. When we were children, there was a period in the 1980s when our family was split up and my parents made a decision to raise us in different environments. Because of the 1980s uprising, I think It was the second wave of uprisings in Soweto following the 1976 uprising. And there wasn't a lot of school happening at the time and my parents decided to to send the older kids who were affected the most to Limpopo, to Venda, to Maravue. So growing up, we had two homes. We had a home in Maravue and we had another home in Soweto, Chiawero. I remember when that happened because I think for a little while I didn't get it that that is what was happening because in the early years or the first year or two of that decision taking place, I was too young to have started school. I think I was a year or two from starting school. So I was with my mother. So It really didn't click until when I had to start school because the decision was that for primary schooling, which seemed to be the most stable environment for schools, I went to a primary school in Chiawero, Mambo Primary School. And it was then that it hit me that these two people are separating us. (laughs) So I remember because then my mother would come visit in Soweto And when she left, it didn't make sense. I would just cry and cry and cry. I would just be so heartbroken. And I would be like, but where are you going? Why are you going? I want to come with you. Eventually, I just decided to stop crying because it just didn't make sense anymore. I was just so tired of the crying and of asking the same question and I suppose even as a child, I knew that at that point, no amount of crying was going to change anything. So I remember the day I decided to stop crying, then I just 
watched her get into the car and I said goodbye. In my mind, I was like, well, I'll see her again when she comes back. I carried on playing. And that was how I dealt with not having my mother around or with my mother leaving from time to time. And I just accepted that that is what the situation is. And that's what's going on. So we had two homes and I was then raised primarily by my father and spent a lot of time with him. And it was in all of that that I think I watched the dynamic of working, of doing things, of sacrifice. Although my mother didn't work, while she was in the village, she produced what we ate. I remember we would visit Maravu, we would visit Venda, and we would have to go to the farm. It's a piece of land that the chief gave to a number of people, I think, who applied for it for an agriculture scheme that came into effect at that time. So my parents were some of the people that were beneficiaries of that, and they really used that land to, to feed us. I remember the huge 50 kilograms of milli meal that would come out of that piece of land. And my father would drive them back to Johannesburg, Soweto, for us to eat. And when that supply finished, he would fetch more. So we actually never bought milli meal. And when it was a period of cabbages, spinach, or whatever the case might be, there'd always be an opportunity to replenish the supply as and when the visits were happening. My dad had the one shirt that he wore all the time. <laughs> and if he wasn't wearing that shirt, he was wearing his uniform from work. He'd, he'd just hang around and chill in his work uniform. He was a paramedic. I'd always wondered why he doesn't have other clothes, why do I always see him in that one shirt? And I realized that he just didn't buy clothes because at some point he was taking, I think, three, four children through varsity. And before that, he had taken on a building project where he was building a home for us. That was another very defining moment for me where he would leave Soweto with us and we would go home and when he got there he would make bricks himself he bought a brick making machine and I have this vivid picture of these bricks laying there waiting to dry I remember the pile of the bricks growing from the first batch of about eight bricks I think the machine made eight bricks at a time and over time those bricks will pile up and pile up and pile up until the foundation of that house started. He built the house. Every brick that built the home, my father made, except just the face brick, the outside face bricks that he couldn't get to. And I asked why he didn't make those. And he said the equipment for that was just, was too much. They needed to be made at the factory. That's what I know and that's what 
I saw growing up. And for me, that has been what drives me and fuels me. My love language is acts of service. And when I think about it, I understand why. It's because every time I watched my mother work at the farm, or watched her make chitzimba, which is a meal that takes an entire day because you have to, to prepare the beans and it's like a version of stamp. Every time I watched her, I felt love. Every time I watched my father make a brick, I felt love. I felt that that is what love is. You, you do for the people you love. So you can imagine the type of adult that I tend out to be. I have very strong masculine energy and I think more than I feel. And that has been the source of my fatigue, the source of my tiredness, that I'm a doer. I do. And I remember in the early days of my marriage, I would just be doing stuff. As I said earlier, my love language is definitely acts of service. As life would have it, my husband's love language is not acts of service, so half the time he doesn't understand what I'm doing and he does not perceive it as love. <laughs> it took a lot of tears, arguments and fights to establish that that's what's happening because I would be confused half the time as to why there isn't a level of appreciation I suppose I expected. Or in fact, at some point, you just can't see that the person is not perceiving what you're doing as love. I remember the one day when it dawned on me, I was, I was cleaning the house because it was just the two of us. And, and he asked me, listen, come and sit down. What are you doing? I said, I'm cleaning the house. And he said, why? Come, sit down. Let's, let's sit. I was so confused. I was like, but I'm cleaning the house so that we are in a clean house. And, and I'm cleaning the house for you. Needless to say, I sat very uncomfortable at the idea of sitting when I could have been cleaning the house. And for me, that is the root of my tiredness and the match of having someone you love so much not understand the love language that you understand and you in turn not really perceiving the love language that they have led to a lot of, of exhaustion to be honest because it's this back and forth of trying to understand this existence, this togetherness that doesn't seem to be gelling and at some point in addition to having work and everything else I do, there was just that too that I needed to figure out. And the more I didn't understand what was happening, the more I did, the more I gave off me to a point where I was so tired. I remember the day it all just came to a halt. I was crying and I was saying to my husband, I'm tired. I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to give. 
I don't know why I feel like this. I don't even remember actually what the real cause of that particular breakdown on that day was. But I suppose to be honest, the breakdown was that I was just tired. I was so fatigued. I I would be doing all of it. I remember my son started swimming and I would come back from work tired. I would take him to swimming. I'd come back and at some point before the second born, I would insist on doing bath time and reading the book and you know I'd be doing all of these things and over and above that I'd be doing other social things this is outside of work being part of baby shower committees you know at that age where you just have a lot going on for yourself for your friends for your family you have a small baby you have a career that also needs attention I was just tired and I think on that day that fight didn't even become a fight because I didn't even have any fight left in me. I was just like, you know what, actually, I have nothing. As in, I could feel it. I could sense that there's a big gaping hole that leads to nowhere because there's nothing. I could physically feel that even if I could open myself up, I would get there and there'd be nothing. And that is when I was so tired of being tired that I articulated it and I said to him, I'm tired, I'm tired, it's not even you, it's me, I'm tired. He kneeled in front of me and said, you know what, I understand. We need to maybe rethink how we're doing all of this. I'm fortunate that I have a reading husband, he reads, and I love that about him because that's the one thing we have in common that I think drives the friendship that we have because trust me, we have very little in common. He's an introvert and I'm highly extroverted. Yeah, so other than really our values and the fact that we love reading, yeah, we don't have that much in common. I suppose we're both engineers. Okay, that sort of helps as well. So he said to me, let's maybe do this differently. He went back to reading. He said, there's these two books that I think can help us. And he gave them to me. It was The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy and another book by him as well called Design Your Best Year Ever. And he said, look, we have no plan, so let's try these tools and see if it works. That was so helpful because I was so ready for any solution. I just I just wanted to do something different. I just wanted to to try something different. I read the two books. We gave ourselves timelines, did every single exercise that the book said we should do. It was so much work, but such incredible work because for the first time in my adult life, I could sit down and think through what do I really value? Why do I do the things I do? Along the same time, I was introduced to the book, The Goddess Bootcamp by a friend of mine. The Goddess Bootcamp by Gajeso also touches on doing should be a result of being. When I got introduced to the concept of being, which is, I suppose, goes back to what my husband was saying, to say, just sit, just sit, just be. And I really struggled with that. I've evolved a bit. I've grown a bit to understand that the doing has to be fueled by something, by you being 
it's when my journey to being re-energized started and it's when I found a much deeper reason to hold on to a routine that gives me the time to just sit and be, to sit and feel over and above the thinking that I do. You know, balancing the thinking with the feeling and balancing the doing with giving myself enough source of energy to to actually then do because the doing makes me happy. I understand it. I can relate to it. I express myself that way. But the reality is it's unsustainable on its own. And in fact, it's unsustainable if you don't know why you're doing half the stuff you're doing. Because if you know why you're doing it, you then are able to take time out to do the other things that are supportive to what you need to do. And my challenge as well is having children. They they are also completely different. They don't get this acts of service thing of mine. My daughter is definitely touch. If I want to show her that I really love her, touch is the way to go. And she's also quality time. Imagine my horror. My son, his words of affirmation and he is quality time. So <laughs> sometimes I really feel like God has a sense of humor that the three people that matter the most in my life do not understand the love language that I can easily express and in fact I easily perceive and I think that's just his way of slowing me down because I do have to stop and spend time with them. I do have to stop and touch them, feel them, be present, be there. That's where I'm growing. It's a daily thing. Deciding that at some point I have to put my phone down and I have to close the laptop and look into my husband's eyes and listen to the same old stories he tells me. The point is love. Figuring out what I really want in life, what I really value. Getting to a point where I articulate and admit that what I'm doing is not working and not sustainable. And really committing to the work to figure it out re-energized me. And so when I wake up at three, I know that it's that important for me to have time by myself because I've been in a place where I had nothing in me. And there's nothing worse than having nothing in you to give when there's actually, at face value, there's nothing wrong with your life. You have a great job, you have a wonderful family, you have great friends, and yet you're just feeling so empty and that for me said a lot to say that clearly it can't be about anything else but me. What it is I want, what it is I believe in, what it is I value. And through the exercise, I actually managed to get to a lot of that. And we made time to go unpack each other's things. And then we started looking at what do we want together, 
what we want as a family. And that, I really believe, was the breakthrough of not only our marriage, but my life. Because suddenly I had a baseline that is me. And I had chosen a lens through which I want to see life. I had chosen the framework through which I want to do life. And that framework has held me together since. And it guides everything I do because it is my why. And that's how I re-energized. And I've become so aware of how much time I create for me. Uh, Recently, I was fascinated by the idea of going on a silent retreat. And I did. I took 10 days. I went to a silent retreat where I switched off from everything. And I was silent with my thoughts, my feelings, myself for 10 days. It's magic. And I don't think that I would have evolved to being someone who can just sit and do nothing if I had not gotten to a point where doing had gotten me so tired. As I speak now on this podcast today, as I'm recording it, I'm full. I am joyful. I have cultivated my spiritual practice to a point that it holds me together. I'm expectant. I have joy, peace, and love. And on days when I don't, I remind myself that I must think of things that are true, that are authentic, that are noble. And as thoughts come and go, as they always do, that want me to go down rabbit holes that do not serve me and will just get me tired and mentally exhausted. I ask myself, is this true? Is this authentic? Is this noble? So that's me. That's really what the journey has been. It's been it's been a source of energy that came from complete tears and utter fatigue. I really am slowly starting to understand the notion of being. I also have a bit of work that needs to be done around boundaries simply because I am a doer. So I do sometimes take on quite a bit to do and instead of not doing, I rather than overwork myself, which I'm slowly accepting as something that must not happen in my life. Those are the things I've experienced. That's the process I have gone through. That's the support I've gotten. I'm trying not to get ever to that point where I'm emotionally and mentally tired to the bone. And I ask myself, how did I get there? You know, I can't actually even remember the exact steps and the exact activities that led to it, but it was just this build-up of this doing that just didn't stop. 
and when I stopped to take a good look at myself and reflect and actually make some choices and make some serious choices, I could feel myself come back to life. And I am forever grateful for that breakdown that night that led us down the journey of rethinking our lives and ultimately what it is I want. I hope this story helps you find your way back to yourself. Next week, I would like to talk about something that really fascinates me. I am utterly fascinated by people who figure out what they want and they actually then have the courage to go after it. I suppose it is my own struggles with getting to that space and my understanding of what that work takes that it fascinates me. So in the next coming episodes, I'll be having conversations with women who have made choices and decisions around leaving something else to work towards what they feel they really want to do. I would love to hear from you. Please share your thoughts, ideas, and experiences with me on erendlovu.com or send an email to womanifesto at erendlovu.com. Until next week, thank you and God bless.